Welcome to another AllHoosiers.com podcast. This week we have a jam-packed episode for you as we've got a couple different guests for you. We're starting out with Brian Snow, the Fox Sports Midwest slash national recruiting analyst. He'll be joining us in just a moment to talk some IU basketball recruits. And then later on in the podcast, we'll be joined by AllHoosiers.com's Nolan Blair, Joe Popley, and Justin Albers to talk Indiana versus Navy, as well as preview IU versus Bowling Green. But to start us off, we're going to talk some IU basketball recruiting with Brian Snow right now. So, Brian, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing just fine, thank you. And, and today we're here to talk about some IU basketball recruiting, and Brian is the go-to guy to talk about some of these guys that we're going to chat about here. So uh, just to start off, Brian, give IU basketball fans a reason or several reasons why it's way too early to be hitting the panic button on 2014. I would say because I think I counted it up. There's still 42 uncommitted members of our 2014 Top 100. So, I mean, a lot of things can go a lot of different ways. IU's got a lot of time, you know, a lot of fires lit out there. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to see what they can get done. It obviously hasn't gone exactly to plan with, you know, decommitments and, and missing out on some key targets. But still, I mean, IU's got a big brand and uh, they're in on some very good players and they're going to have visits. And really, IU has proven over time when they can get, get a kid on campus that they do a great job with them. And, and, starting with one of the guys that uh, is making a decision September 20th that has Indiana high on his radar, Robert Johnson. Uh, have you heard any word on where he may be going, or do you have any inclination on where you think he'll go? Um, you know, that Robert Johnson's not someone that I am assigned to follow, so I don't have the most inside information there. All the indications seem to be Indiana or North Carolina, and I think North Carolina has the edge in terms of it's the school you watch growing up a lot. And in terms of location, it's only a couple hours from his house. Indiana has the edge in playing time and situation and maybe recruiting him a little bit longer. So, you know, I think it can go either way. As I said, I'm not the uh, guy for scout. Evan Daniels is that covers his recruitment. So I don't have all the insight on that one, but I mean, I think it's probably a coin flip at this point. It, um, you know, North Carolina has always done a very good job in that part of Virginia. You know, a guy like Ed Davis comes to mind as a guy they got. So there's certainly that. I mean, history would not be on Indiana's side. However, just the job that Indiana has done with him and the opportunity that they can present him is something that's very important. And just from games that you've seen him play, I know you're not assigned to watch him and whatnot, but just... And from things you've heard, how would you think he could maybe fit into the Indiana program with the style of play? You know, I think a lot of style of play stuff gets overrated. At the end of the day, you either you can either play or you can't. And Robert Johnson can play at the end. Of, and right now, Indiana needs someone who can shoot the basketball. They severely lack that on the roster. And Robert Johnson is one of the better shot makers. Now he's not James Blackman in terms of a pure shooter, but he's a scorer. He's a shot maker. He he can get buckets. And that's clearly a position Indiana needs help in is getting buckets. And he would fit in great for them. He would fill a major need. And is someone, you know, quite honestly, Indiana needs, they, they have to get a two-guard in this class. And Robert Johnson right now is looking like the most likely option. And you mentioned that there's over 40 guys in the top 100 in 2014 that haven't committed. So, uh, I mean, there's obviously several guys on, on IU's radar, but, uh, who are some guys that you think w would fit in well with IU or, or you know, that you think are, are pretty hot on IU right now? You know, clearly IU's done a pretty good job with Isaiah Whitehead. Now that one's starting to get a little dicey. You know, after the visit, there was a lot, a lot of posts of uh, pro-IU buzz. Now that's tapering off quite a bit. Minnesota's a school that, that's done a good job, has been there for a while. But IU's still in the mix. They're hoping to get him back on campus. It'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. And then, of course, you got Devin Robinson a uh, combo forward from, from Virginia, literally right down the road from Robert Johnson. And, you know, he's a kid. He, if everything comes together for Devin, he's got a chance to play in the NBA one day. He's skilled. He's athletic. He's long. He can do a lot of really good things. So those two guys certainly would be in the mix. Of course, they're trying to get back in with James Blackman. I just have a hard time believing a kid that decommits in August after being committed for three years 
is going to recommit in October. It, it just defies logic to me, so I don't see that happening. But nonetheless, James still talks about coming back to IU, and IU's putting an effort with him. So they can't be discounted completely. Do you see any reason why Dante Exum wouldn't go to the NBA? Uh, to me, it comes down to two things. Either for Dante Exum not to go to the NBA, he either has to really, really like school or really, really hate money. And <laughs> Brian Snow would not fit into either of those categories, and uh, I'm not sure too many people that do, but uh, that would be the only way I see him uh, coming to college. And quite honestly, if I was in his shoes, I would be waving, I would be shaking Adam Silver's hand and saying, thank you, collecting my paycheck and enjoying my life. I'm I'm right there with you, and I I'm, I I mean I can't see any reason why, unless those two that you stated why he would end up out of school. But um, so for Indiana, a lot of fans are are kind of freaking out because they've got no commits in 2014 yet. How many commits do you think they end up with in this 2014 class once it's all said and done? I would say a solid number is you know a solid over under, if you will, would be like two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I think they're going to end up with multiple kids. Now, which kids, I, you know, I, I just don't know at this point, but they're certainly going to end up with multiple kids. I, I think they'll end up with a good class. It might not be a top 10 class, but I think it'll be a very good class. Um, Coach Green has proven that he can recruit. He's done it, you know, at Marquette. He's done it at Indiana. He gets good players, so I don't see why that would stop that. In terms of just the Indiana as a state uh, in, in recruiting mix, how does this year, 2014, stack up uh, to, you know, the past couple of years where 2012 was just outstanding and then, you know, 2013 was a bit of a drop-off. But how does 2014 stack up in terms of the state of Indiana? Uh, you know, 2014 is interesting because at the top, it's, it's as good as anywhere. I mean, 2012 is in its own, like, realm of unworldliness. I mean, you could have seven, eight, nine guys playing the NBA from the 2012 class. So you got to take that out, but... You know, you've got four guys who legitimately can make cases to be McDonald's All-Americans, and you just don't see that very often. Now, there's not much behind them. Bryant McIntosh and Sam Logwood would probably be five and six in that class, and, and neither is like a no-brainer high major, even though both were, you know, Bryant's committed to Northwestern and Sam to Auburn, so both are playing at a high major level. But, you know, they're not the no-brainer type kid. So there's not a ton of depth behind those top four guys, but the fact that one state has four guys rated in the top 40 or 50 is really quite impressive. And, you know, all four of them really bring something big to the table. You mentioned all four of those, those guys that are, you know, high level recruits, you know, possibly, you know, talks of being McDonald's all American game. If IU misses out on all four of those guys, what does that mean for the program? If anything, I don't know if it means anything for the program. It just means they missed on kids. And, I, you know, IU, they did a decent job in 2012, but that was a, such a special class. Everyone was going to get guys. In 2013, you know, they missed out on top guys. And then 2014, it looks like they're missing out on top guys. So that's a trend that is a little bit disturbing. But to me, it doesn't matter. As long as you get good players, to me, it shouldn't matter where they're from. And IU's getting good players, you know, doesn't matter if Troy Williams is from Hampton, Virginia, or Peru, Indiana. To me, it shouldn't matter. He's a good player, you know. So I don't think it says anything about the program. It just, as long as they get good players, I don't think it should matter. Yeah, and, and I'm right up that alley as well. I know that, uh, you know, you read the message boards and people tend to get a little worried when, you know, the state isn't being locked down and, and things like that. And in 2014, that's a little disturbing just because, like you said, there's so many good guys, and if Blackman chooses to go elsewhere, which all signs seem that he would, um, they're going to miss out on all the guys, the top four. So, uh, But I'm with you. I think that if, if they're able to get good guys, I mean, it, it shouldn't matter where they're from. I think it's more so of a uh, – I don't, I don't want to, you know, segregate the Indiana fan base, but it seems to be of, you know, kind of the older, old-school crowd that would like that, you know, when Knight used to do that. So I kind of understand where they're coming from, but at the end of the day, I, I really don't think it matters, just like you said. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, uh, I, would, I would assume Indiana fans would much rather win with kids from Virginia and Boston than lose with kids from Indiana. Exactly. So, 
I, you know, I, I think that's what it comes down to is getting victories, and I think Indiana's in a good position to get a lot of wins over the next few years. And I, I certainly agree. So kind of moving on uh, away from the guard position, have you had a chance to, to check out Good Luck Okanobo or, or know about his recruiting with IU? Because I know that's um, really kind of the only big guy I use recruiting in 2014. Yeah, you know, I've seen good Michael Bunch, and he, he's one of the best shot blockers and rebounders in this class. Offensively, he's got a long way to go, but he can really block shots. He can really rebound. He plays hard. He runs the court. So in that, in that respect, he, you know, he's something IU can always use because, you know, any guy that can change the game defensively is impressive. So, you know, IU's really been on him for a while. Obviously, they have an AAU teammate or a former AAU teammate in um, on campus. And so – IU's in there. I don't think the kid has a great feel right now for where he's going. I know UNLV's very strong in there. I know Indiana's very strong in there. I think Ohio State's making a strong run. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done for all the teams with good luck, but uh, you know this visit will tell a big story, and, and IU, I'm sure, will try to get a commitment and lock him down before he has a chance to see any other school. And, and so, you know, we've talked about the 2014 class, and how, how strong it is and how Indiana still has a good shot at having a good class. But uh, kind of moving on to some of the younger guys that, that I use kept their eye on it. What have you seen in, in that class? You know, clearly they're, they're after like Malachi Richardson. He's someone who definitely Indiana's made a, a priority. He's been on campus several times and I know they like him quite a bit. He's an elite shooter and scorer from the New Jersey area. So uh, Malachi is certainly one to watch and someone who's done a good job. IU's done a very good job with. Also Bryant Crawford, a point guard from Washington, D.C. area. I think IU probably leads for Bryant right now. And, uh, and if IU doesn't get Lou Rawls' tum-tum there in the 2014 class, they're going to need a point guard in 2015, and Crawford's their guy, and he might be the best point guard in the country. Now, that said, uh, he's not a five-star prospect or anything like that. It's a, it's a weak point guard class. But nonetheless, still, he's someone Indiana's put in a lot of work with. And you got Jalen Coleman. He's an in-state kid. But I would warn people, he's made it very clear behind the scenes that he plans to leave the state for college. I don't necessarily know why that is, but he seems to be making that a point that he wants to look out of, out of the state. And, and he's doing that with Michigan and Michigan State. So, you know, he, Indiana's going to do their due diligence, but he's going to be tough to get a hold of. Carlton Bragg out of Ohio is someone Indiana spent a lot of time on. He's a top 10 power forward, athletic, as much upside as anybody in the class. Right now, Ohio State and Illinois are probably the two that are ahead, but Indiana's certainly in the mix, and he plans on visiting Indiana at some point this fall. Steven Zimmerman and then his high school teammate Chase Jeter, both are centers and both are very, very good, and Indiana's put in a lot of good work with both of them. Uh, um, neither is anywhere close to a decision, but you know, they're both in the mix with Indiana. So those would be some guys to watch. And then just moving on to younger guys, which obviously, you know, for one, Indiana hasn't had good luck with getting young uh, commits. And quite frankly, it's odd to see Indiana offer kids that um, haven't even played a high school game yet. Uh, but I know you were able to check out uh, Paul Scruggs and Joey Bronk, uh, just some guys from the state of Indiana in Indianapolis. Uh, what did you see from them? Or is there any interest from IU and those guys? Or I know that Scruggs actually received an offer, I think, but just what kind of play do you see from them? Are they guys that are going to be high major recruits and whatnot? Yeah, you know, Paul Scruggs is one of several kids in his 2017 class to have an offer. Uh, he's athletic. He's strong. He looks like a grown man already. Uh, he needs to work on his perimeter skills. He's probably about 6'4", six, 6'5". At the moment, so that's the thing. It's like you know, I, I've seen him. He's good. I, I actually, I think I saw him for the first time when he was like in sixth grade. He was playing up with ninth graders at the time, and he, you know, he's a good player. Uh, he needs to keep working hard. But you know, IU likes him, and he likes IU. In terms of his high school teammate Joey Brunk, who's a six eight, six nine center, IU's shown some passing interest, but nothing major. I think Joey has a chance to certainly be a high major player. He needs to come along, needs to get a little bit stronger, needs to get more confident in himself. But he's got good hands. He's developing post moves. And, you know, he's got good size for a kid. And he's still growing. So Joey's someone who can be there. Um, on the 2017s would be Zach Gunn. He's got an IU offer. And Chris Wilkes, 
Um, Chris Wilkes is from North Central. He's, he's a raw wing. He's got athletic upside. He's got potential. He can score a little bit. But he's got a long way to go. And then Zach Gunn's a versatile forward who can face the rim, who's a pretty good athlete, can attack off the dribble some. So all, all those kids have a ways to go. Uh, I'm personally not in favor of offering kids before they play a high school game. It's not something I would do if I was a head coach. Though nonetheless, you know, I'm, you know, kids are good players, so I understand what college coaches see in them. Yeah, and for, for IU specifically, I mean, it hasn't worked out well for them yet. Yes, they got commits from guys before they played high school games and Trey Wiles and James Blackman, but uh, as we sit right now, uh, neither of those guys are committed anymore. So for IU, it, I don't think it's odd. I mean, like you said, I understand why they do it, but they just haven't had good luck with it, it, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, as I said, not the not the particular track I would take, but it seems to be what they feel comfortable with, and that's kind of the way they've gone with it. And so as we wrap things up here, um, if Indiana, say Indiana gets a commit from Robert Johnson uh, next weekend when, when he makes his decision, is this kind of something that could snowball for Indiana and lead to several uh, commits in, in a short period of time, or all these guys kind of have different timetables and Indiana fans are just going to have to wait things out. Right now, I would say these guys have different timetables, but, you know, it's all going to happen in the next couple months. So, you know, if one commits on September 20th and then another on October 10th, you know, I don't necessarily know that one has much to do with the other, even though it's only separated by a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're probably going to happen likely fairly close together, but that more has to do with a calendar and when signing day is and when visits are as opposed to, you know, kids like one committing because of the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we, we talked about everything uh, in terms of IU recruiting, and, and I appreciate coming on. Any last words on, on commits or, or not commits, recruits for IU or recruits in the state of Indiana in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just it, it's a process right now. All these kids are, you know, we went through a time period starting with like the 2010 class where the kids or 2008, where the kids felt the need to commit really early. And that's just not the case anymore. Most want to take their time, take their visits, enjoy the process. And I know that can be frustrating for fans at times who, who feel that these kids, you know, in Indianapolis kids want to go to IU, but a lot of parents, a lot of kids now, a lot of coaches are advising them, you know, like, take your time, enjoy this. It's only going to happen once. And I think that's where we are right now. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. Um, but we've, we've chatted here with Brian Snow, uh, Midwest and National Recruiting Analyst for Scout.com. Brian, thanks so much for coming on a podcast here. No problem, anytime. And that was Brian Snow, once again, the Midwest and National Recruiting Analyst for Scout.com. But now we're going to move in to the football side of things, talking IU athletics. Indiana lost a tough one to Navy Saturday evening and this weekend they will be playing against Bowling Green at home. So we're going to talk with Nolan Blair, Joe Popley, and Justin Albers, all of who allhoosiers.com right now. Guys, how are we doing? Fantastic. Great, Tony. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Good. And and like I mentioned, we've got Nolan Blair, Justin Albers, and Joe Popley on with us all of allhoosiers.com. Uh, we're excited to do our first of hopefully many roundtable discussions um, this first one, we're going to be talking about Navy and Bowling Green. We're going to start with Navy. Uh, Justin, what was your overall impression of Indiana against Navy this past weekend? Uh, I mean, obviously, Tony was disappointing because um, after that, that opening win against Indiana State where they put up 73 points and looked really good in doing so, um, the, the defense just didn't come out to play against Navy and, and didn't stop them one time. Um, and there was a missed field goal, but they didn't force them to punt one time in the game. They allowed them to score 41 points. And, uh, I mean, while they made it close at the end, which was uh, somewhat, I guess, good going forward, um, I, I think most of what you take out of the Navy game is negative just because the defense wasn't able to get off the field. And then you're going to have a fan base that was starting to come back starting to question whether this, this team's going to be the same old team or not. Joe, what were your impressions? Yeah, sort of along the same lines. I almost would put it in the category of an embarrassing loss. I know people want to say that Navy is a quality opponent, which it is, and that they've been to a bowl game nine of the last ten seasons, which they have. 
However, Navy's schedule is not the toughest, and given that Indiana and its defense has had an entire year to prepare for this, using the option as a gimmick excuse doesn't do it for me. The defense was extremely undisciplined. Every time there was a pitch play to the outside, somebody missed their key, and they would break contain pretty easily. Pretty much uh, three or four guys would swarm to Keenan Reynolds, the quarterback who would have an easy pitch out to the running back or wing back who would bust it out for a big run. The Navy game and the option is now in the rearview mirror. And while I think this defense has improved since last season, this past game versus Navy notwithstanding, it still has a long way to go, and that was pretty evident in the game against the midshipmen. No one, you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that I took away from it is the fan base is not happy right now. The fan base is getting more excited about this Indiana football team, but I think most of the fans have fallen back into the, well, IU has no defense, so it could be a long year. So you mentioned the fans. I'll stick with you here, Nolan. You mentioned the fans. How does Indiana win these fans back that they kind of lost in that Navy game? Yeah, I mean, I think Bowling Green will be a, a great opportunity because Bowling Green, you know, of course, has a high-powered offense. So if the IU defense can come out and, you know, prove they have improved and they are a tougher defense, then I think they can win back the fan base right now. But it's going to be a tough game. I mean, it, Bowling Green is no easy contest. So, But with that, it's a great opportunity for the IU, IU defense to step up for the fans. Joe, do you think IU can win some fans back that they lost in, this, in that Navy game with a win over Bowling Green this weekend? I'm not so sure they lost a ton of fans. I know there's a lot of disappointment, but I don't know. There's a lot of wishy-washy Indiana football fans to begin with, so they might be on and off the bandwagon a few times this year. But I think, as Nolan said, the defense needs to come out strong right away. Indiana needs to show that it can dominate the line of scrimmage, not only on defense but on offense as well. That was another glaring issue in the Navy game. Not much of a rushing attack to speak of. Of course, the Hoosiers were playing from behind, so that kind of forced them to throw more. But you would figure that when Indiana had a size advantage on the line because Navy is a service academy and they have weight restrictions for their players, you really didn't. Nate Sudfeld was the leading rusher with 35 yards. So it sounds cliche, but Indiana needs to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball come out and have a physical run game, get Tevin Coleman and Stephen Houston going, and then on the flip side of things, try to shut down with a pretty potent rushing attack for the Falcons. Uh, Justin, what's what's your take on uh, Indiana possibly losing fans against Navy and a way to win them back? Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt that they lost at least some of them because, like we mentioned, I, I think on a couple podcasts ago before the season started, the fans were starting to come back. There's a lot of excitement in Bloomington, a lot more talk this offseason about the football team than I think there has been in prior years. And you're not undoubtedly going to lose some fans because of that Navy loss and the way that they looked in that game. So, uh, And I think it hurts you to come back from that game with a noon uh, kickoff tomorrow against Bowling Green. I think that hurts you because um, the fans are will just be getting out there to tailgate at least the students, and some people might just be uh, tempted to stay out and, and not come into the game like old times on a night game situation where they've had all day to tailgate. So I think it will be difficult to do so unless they start winning again, put put together good games against Bowling Green and Missouri these next two weeks, and you should have the fans coming back for Big Ten season. But I don't think they should be really too concerned about that, just need to get back on, on the winning track right now. Yeah, I think uh, winning or losing fans over is probably the least of Kevin Wilson's worries. I mean, obviously he wants fans in there, uh, but I think he's going to kind of leave that up to Fred Glass. And at the end of the day, I think wins ultimately are what drives fans in. But I do agree with the fact that a 12 o'clock start tomorrow doesn't help the case uh, just because, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that stay out late tonight, might just be rolling out of bed around noon tomorrow, and then they don't want to do their tailgating and whatnot. So uh, I think a noon start hurts no matter what at Indiana just because of the nature of their program and – um, you know, the nature of the tailgating festivities and whatnot out there. But to move away from that and the fan side of things, and in Indiana, let's face it, it was a bad loss on Saturday. But, uh, Justin, what were some of the positives you can kind of take out of that Navy game? Um, most of the positives I take away are, are from the offense and, and kind of the resiliency they showed after falling down by 17 points multiple times in that game. Um, probably the primary positive I take away is Nate Sudfeld and, uh, really separating himself from the other two quarterbacks. And, and I think he should be named the starter. And he, Kevin Wilson continues to 
just leave it wide open. And But I think Sudfeld should be the starter, and I think he's shown that through two games, especially last week, um, leading them almost all the way back. If you get one defensive stop there, uh, you never know what happens. They have a chance to come back and win that game, and, and if he doesn't throw the red zone pick, uh, same same type of situation. So I think most of the positive I take away were from the offense, but I'll just stick with Sudfeld and let Joe and Nolan weigh, on it, weigh in on that as well. Nolan, what were the positives you saw? Well, I mean, it's tough to you know say any positives about the IU defense, but there was a noticeable change in the fourth quarter how they were attacking the option and they were able to force Navy to a couple – fourth down plays, of course, they weren't able to come through any of those. But So I think the IU defense, the improvement they made in the fourth quarter is somewhat of a positive. But I think really one of the biggest positives is Nate Suffield. You know, coming in with the IU down 17 and nothing, then he throws an interception, and then from there on out, he, he scores on every every uh, drive after that. So I think that is probably, you know, the biggest positive you can take out of the Navy game is I think IU finally has a quarterback who is a major game changer. And we'll see how uh, that happens against Bowling Green and see, you know, what Kevin Wilson does with Trey Roberson and Nate Suffield. But but I think that, you know, even coming back to the IU fan base, I think the IU fan base is, is even a little bit, you know, he's excited about Nate Suffield, talking to my friends about IU football. They are excited about Nate Suffield. So I think that, you know, is, is a big positive. Joe? Yeah, I just to jump on that bandwagon, I mean, Suffield has absolutely earned the starting job for week three. Whether or not he will is, remains to be seen, but – now through two games, eight touchdowns, just two interceptions, uh, better than 70% completion mark. And then the other player you have to talk about that did well offensively was Ted Bolzer. He had another uh, two-touchdown game. He now has four touchdowns on the season and uh, team-high 11 catches. So we always knew that he could be great. He's been a good tight end, a very good tight end uh, his entire career in Indiana. But perhaps he's finally breaking out in the way that a lot of people thought he could or maybe even should and I think the teams always game plan for Ted Bolzer, but if he's doing this well, then it just gives them more to worry about, and maybe it will open things up on the outside for some of the receivers to make plays, and they're very talented, and maybe it'll open up the run game as well. So, you know, Ted Bolzer is off to a tremendous start this year and then brings a great threat in the red zone and also a mismatch anytime he's on the field. Yeah, I have to agree with Bolzer being the bright spot. I mean, obviously I think Sudfeld – uh, was the biggest positive you can take out of that game just because everything you guys mentioned, I won't echo your guys' sentiment. But um, Ted Bolzer, I mean, he's a guy that we saw in, in that Navy game. You can kind of just throw the ball up close to him, and he's so much bigger than most cornerbacks or even linebackers would be um, that he, he was able to just jump up and get the ball, and he's got great hands and great feet. Um, and he's going to be a guy that more than likely will probably be playing on Sundays um, next year. So I think Bolzer was huge. Somebody that's really struggled to get going uh, is Cody Latimer. The last couple or the first two games of the season, he was kind of looked at as, as IU's main guy, or their best receiver, although they were in a good wide receiving core. Uh, he's got five catches on the season for 73 yards, no touchdowns. Joe, is there any way IU can get him going? Is it just something that's kind of just going to happen eventually? I think it'll just happen eventually. And I think if you talk to Cody right now, he'd probably tell you that, yeah, you wish he had more catches. But the offense is pretty darn good through two weeks. And I think this is also the nature of having so many talented options in the receiving core. I mean, Bolzer has emerged more than we probably thought he would through two games. And I'm sure he's taken some receptions away from Cody Latimer. And this is something Kevin Wilson talked about in the pregame, about leadership from his upperclassmen, especially his receivers, comes down to if they can handle only getting targeted a few times a game and if they can still continue to run block well, do all the other little things well that they need to do. Cody Latimer, I think, is going to have a monster game at some point. And it's really, I think, more of a product of the offense and the amount of good receivers they have. Nolan, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Cody Cody's a great player. And I think it will take, you know, just one good game out of him for, for really his whole season to turn around. And we're only two games in, and, you know, the – the IU offense against Indiana State, you know, they, they really played a lot of players in that game. So I really think, you know, Bowling Green could be Cody's game. So really, we'll see what happens. Justin, switching gears with you a bit, um, Indiana, they're playing against a good run defense in Bowling Green uh, this next week. And so we'll move into our, our Bowling Green um, preview here. How can Indiana get their running game going? Um, they did very well against Indiana State, and then as Joe mentioned, the top rusher last week was Nate Sudfeld with 35 yards. So 
how can Indiana get their running game going? Is that something that the passing game kind of opens up, or is it something that the, the linemen uh, need to do better with as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there's room for everybody to improve, but I think the biggest key to establishing the run game will be not falling behind early like they did last week. I mean, they were down 17 to nothing so quickly that they almost had to throw it 60, 70% of the time. And, and uh, once, I mean, if you run the ball and you're getting zero, one, two yards, you can't really afford to do that when you're down by 17 as much as you can when it's equal or you're winning the game. So I think that'll be key. Obviously, um, the offense can't really control that. That's something the defense is going to have to control, whether they can get off the field early in the game. But as long as Indiana is not playing from behind like they were last week, I think the running attack will be much better. And uh, hopefully we'll see Tevin Coleman get up close to 100 yards like he did against Indiana State. Nolan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and Kevin Coleman is, is is a great player, and he really wants to get over a thousand yards this year. So I think Kevin Coleman is going to come out early and really run hard. And and it, it, Justin's absolutely right. It, it's really if Indiana is able to you know score first or, or have you know lead in the game, then the Indiana running game will be back. And and uh, you know the IU offensive line is people have said is maybe the most talented part of the IU IU offense or IU team. So it all comes down to just you know the gameplay and if Indiana is winning or you know if it is close. So um, Tevin Coleman and then Stephen Houston, you know he's kind of been a, a disappointment so far this year. So you know I, I think Stephen Houston will come out and have a good game. And it's just a lot of a lot of talent in that backfield. So I think it's just too hard not to go to those two players uh, during the game. Joe, is there is there a way for IU to get the running game going better against Bowling Green or uh, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there is. I'm going to kind of take the flip side of what these guys were talking about. It seems like in the first two games, Indiana has come out and tried to establish the run right away. They've really gone run heavy at the start of the game, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. At least it didn't work out against Navy. Uh, Those first two series resulted in three and outs against Navy. I really think Indiana should just come out and play its bread and butter, if you will, go pass, 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 quick snaps, no huddle, really get Bowling Green's defense on its toes, and that will force them to adjust, perhaps go into some nickel and dime packages, and then you can run and open things up. Because we know how good the passing attack is. Might as well go with that to start, get that into a groove. That should open things up for the run game. And then it's just going to come down to the offensive line starting to man up a little bit. I think, as Nolan mentioned, it's a very talented group, but we haven't necessarily seen the cohesiveness that you think you might see. And I think losing Dan Feeney, the starting right guard for the season, has had an impact as they shuffle some players around there. There's also been an injury on the other side of the uh, line, on the other side of the center. So that's definitely had an impact as well. So I just think they need to come out and uh, try to pass a little bit more at the onset, open things up for the run game. Then the offensive line needs to be ready to get a push at the point of attack. And, Joe, we're looking at a, a Bowling Green team here that ranked sixth in the country last year in total defense allowing just 296 yards per game. They return nine starters. How do you expect Indiana's offense? I know you just kind of explained how you think they should attack it, but what are you expecting to see from them? Can can they – they're playing a MAC team, so is it something that, you know, six in the country doesn't really mean much, or uh you think Indiana's going to struggle a little bit on the offensive end? That's a good question, Tony. It's hard to really know until you get there. I, I'm not going to read too much in the fact that they're in the MAC. Um, when you have that good of a defense, you have that good of a defense. There's a, there's usually a lot of passing now in the MAC. There's a lot more than there used to be, kind of spread teams. It's becoming the popular thing, not only in all college football, and the MAC has kind of adapted that as well. Um, you know, as far as what I expect to see, um, <laughs> Bowling Green has only allowed 14.5 points per game, and they haven't, and they're allowing only about 50 rush yards per game. So I kind of expect them to, I I don't think they're going to feel the need to pack the box. They'll probably be scouting Indiana's pass game. If anything, I kind of expect them to sit back in coverage and and see how the passing game for Indiana comes out. And if that happens, then they might have, if Indiana comes out well, then uh, they might have to adjust and go to more of a run stopping style play, more run stopping formations. Justin, you see Indiana being able to attack this Bowling Green defense and put up a lot of points like they have in their first two games? I really do, Tony, and and the reason why I say that is 
Uh, Joe mentioned the number they're average or giving up a game isn't very high, but I mean they gave up 22 points last week to a Kent State team that scored only 17 points against Liberty, a non-division one opponent in its first game of the season. So, um, I mean, yeah, their numbers are a bit skewed because they played Tulsa in the opener and gave up only seven points, but. They gave up 22 last week to a Kent State team that doesn't have nearly the offensive firepower Indiana does. So I feel like they're going to be at least in the 30s, uh, maybe the upper 30s to 40 again, like they have been the last two weeks. Nolan, what are your thoughts on that? I really like what Joe said earlier about, you know, the Indiana offense coming in and, and, you know, no huddle, going quick, throwing the ball and pulling Bowling Green on their toes early. I think that'll be a key. I think the key is to make Bowling Green defense a little bit I'm comfortable at the start of the game, and Indiana just push, push, push to put as many points as put as many points up as they can early on. And you know, we talked about Indiana's offense against Bowling Green's defense. On the flip side of saying Bowling Green not only leads the MAC right now in defense, but they also lead them in offense. Um, so, so you know, Indiana, who we obviously saw struggle on defense mightily last week. No one, do you, do you think Indiana can contain the Bowling Green offense and keep their offense and keep Indiana in the game? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if the Indiana defense is able to readjust back to the, you know, the typical offense that they've seen, the big team that they've seen usually in their non-conference play. So that'll be a big part of it. You know, Indiana really had a tough game against Navy, and I know it really it seemed to have affected the players, and it seems to have actually even affected the coaching staff, uh, the performance they put up. So it'll be interesting to see if they can readjust back, you know, to the shotgun offense, the Bowling Green offense that they are used to seeing, but. I think I think they'll be able to do a good job. I think, you know, sure it was Indiana State, but Indiana showed some promise in defense, you know, facing that, that shock on the Indiana State brand. So it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back and if they can step up, play quicker, play faster, and, and, and you know, hit the gaps quicker and, and slow down the bowling green offense. So I think we can either see an IU defense that comes out flat or we see an IU defense that comes out ready to play and ready to, to show that they are an improved defense this year. Justin, your thoughts on IU's defense against Bowling Green? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully expect Bowling Green to put up a pretty decent number on Indiana as well because I I just don't have a ton of confidence in the defense. I think it will look better than it did last week because they're not facing the triple option. It's back to more traditional style, but I'm sure there will still be a big player or two, a mental error or two here and there that, that lead to Bowling Green putting up a decent number. I mean, I, I'm kind of thinking – Score-wise, Indiana scores in the upper 30s, and Bowling Green gets into the 30s as well for a pretty close game. So I think they'll put up a decent number of points, and I don't necessarily think we'll get a lot of answers about how good or bad the defense will be this week. Nolan? Uh, That's a good point. Um, We really may not be able to see if this IU defense is improved against Bowling Green because Bowling Green is still – they're in the MAC. We, nobody really knows how good the MAC is because you know they, they play so well against each other. So it's hard to to see you know really how talented the MAC is put up against the other major conferences. So if the IU defense does come out and, and play well against Bowling Green, you still we're not really going to get much answers. That would be great when IU plays Missouri. Uh, they will certainly get an answer there about the IU defense. But uh, I think I think. Justin's really he's, he's right. It could be a game in the 30s. It could be close. And I, I agree. I think it will be a really close game. It'll come down to the fourth quarter. Joe, is there a player on IU that, that stands out in your mind that you think needs to have a big game this weekend? Yeah, I think it needs to be Flo Harden. Flo Harden looks pretty good against Navy. He was one of the few individuals on defense that looked like he could move laterally quickly enough to catch up to Navy's pitches. Bowling Green as put up 452 yards on the ground so far this year, 226 a game. They have a good running back in Travis Green. He has uh, about 116 yards per game, five yards per rush, per carry, I should say. So I think Flo Harden is one of those guys, he's converted safety, he's got the speed and the quickness to penetrate the line, make a play in the backfield, make a one-on-one play, maybe force a fumble. I'm looking towards him to really step up at the linebacker position and help out T.J. Simmons and David Cooper. I think that's been a weakness for them. We thought the linebackers would be a little bit better than they have been so far. So I really look for him to step up if Indiana wants to have a better showing on defense. Nolan, is there a key player for you this weekend? Oh, I think you got to look at David Cooper. Just to, you know, He's viewed as a leader on the IU defense. So we'll see if he can 
can round the guys up, you know, bouncing back from Navy and see if he can play up to, to his potential. You know, you look at Tim Bennett last week. He had 12 tackles leading the team, and he really, you know, was a, uh, a major forcer on the field. But, you know, it, the question is when we're going to see that out of David Cooper. So um, I think David Cooper is going to come out ready to play and ready to prove that he is the most talented player on the defensive side. And he's also just important because he's a leader. Um, and IU needs a lot of leadership on that, that IU defense. So uh, I hope it's David Cooper. I think it will be. I think David Cooper will come out ready to play um, up to his ability. Justin, a key player for you? Those other two guys went defense. I'll go offense and talk about a guy they went with earlier, and that's Cody Latimer. I mean, I, I think he's a guy. Well, the defensive Bowling Green is not necessarily to the caliber that they'll face in the Big Ten. I think it's important that either Nate Sutchfield or Trey Roberson, whoever it may be, establish him before you get to the conference season um, because I think he's a guy that, that may have the tendency to get a little upset if he goes two or three games without getting a number of catches. And um, so I think they need to get work to get him involved in the offense this week. Um, I really do think he's probably the most talented player on that offense and uh, they get him involved. It opens things up for everybody else too. So I think that'll be, that'll be good for the entire offense to get moving. And so moving on and kind of making our predictions for the Bowling Green game now, Justin, we'll start with you. I know you kind of threw a, a bit of a, a range of scores out there, but uh, just for the podcast's sake, uh, what's the final score prediction for you? I'll go uh, Indiana 34 and Bowling Green 28. Joe? I'm going to take Indiana on a late field goal, 38 to 35, and I just want to toss this set in here, Tony. A thing that I noticed about Bowling Green, they are 9 for 25 on third down this year on the offensive side. So that's just 36%. So if Bowling Green is converting on third down consistently early on in the game, I think that will be an indicator of how well Indiana's defense is performing. If the you know if Bowling Green is starting to march down the field and converting third downs with ease, then it could be a long game for them. But at any rate, I'll take the Hoosiers by a field goal, 38-35. No one? Yeah, I like that. I like that prediction a lot. But I'll go, I'll go uh, thirty-eight, thirty-one. I think Indiana will will you know score the winning touchdown late. To be honest with you, and and um, I will stop Bowling Green from from tying the game up. So yeah, definitely be close and should be an interesting fourth quarter. Everybody's got a close game there, and I'll just throw out my prediction as well. I think it'll be close too. Um, I'm going to go a, a little bit lower in terms of. of Offense, like, yeah, I'm going to go 34-24. For some reason, I think Indiana's defense may step up a bit. Um, I think their offense might try to establish a bit more of a run game and possibly be able to keep Bowling Green's offense off the field a little bit. It's probably way too low of a prediction. Um, but last week, I think I predicted Indiana in the 60s, so I'm going to go a little bit lower this week uh, just for the podcast sake. But uh, those, that's our football roundup. Uh, quickly, Justin, are there any tidbits on recruiting or anything that uh, would be helpful for the fans to know? Yeah, I'll just keep it real short this week. Um, good luck, Okanobo, 2014 centers in town for his official visit. Just got in town this afternoon. He'll be here through Sunday. Um, and there's been a lot of chatter here in the last couple of days that he's close to choosing Indiana anyway. Um, so I'd look for something maybe to happen there Sunday or Monday after his official visit. He has narrowed to five schools, so it's always possible he could take some of his other officials, but it looks like Indiana is his leader for now. Um, Robert Johnson, another guy we've talked about in the podcast, 2014 guard from Richmond, Virginia, uh, announced that he will make his decision next Friday. He's on his last official visit this weekend to Florida State. So um, a lot of people think it's between Indiana and North Carolina, and I started to hear North Carolina more and more uh, throughout this week. So that one not, may, may not be that great for Indiana. And I think Tom Crean might know that because he had an in-home visit this week uh, with Lou Rawls and Aaron. Um, a guard from Kansas. He's not ranked as high as some of these other guys. He's a 23rd-ranked point guard in the class, but uh, kind of a backup option for Robert Johnson. And uh, he's going to take an official visit to Indiana next weekend, also considering Oklahoma and Minnesota at this point. So that's kind of where they're at right now, and those are probably going to be the first dominoes to fall uh, as we get into later in September and look at the 2014 class. There you have it for the recruiting roundup. Thanks a lot for that, Justin. And, and guys, uh, thanks to all of you guys for coming on the podcast today. Really enjoyed talking with you guys about Navy and Bowling Green. Absolutely, Tony. Can I throw one more thing in? Sure, go ahead. 
Indiana is only favored by two and a half points in this game. And I had Terry on my radio show this morning. He said that usually a team at home gets at least a three-point advantage just for home field advantage. And when a team's only favored by two and a half, that means that Vegas really doesn't know. I may have predicted Indiana to win, but I could see it going either way. And I think this is a must-win for Indiana. If they don't win, the Hoosiers don't go to a bowl game this year. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, and thanks for kind of rounding us off there, Joe, because, I, I mean, that's that's very true that if Indiana doesn't win this one, it's going to be really, really tough for them to play against Missouri and then go through the conference season and still make a bowl. So uh, great point there, Joe. But um, we really appreciate you guys listening to our podcast here. Uh, we had Brian Snow on earlier. Um, and then our football panel here talking about IU and Navy uh, had a great time with it. But for Justin Albers, Nolan Blair, Joe Popley, I'm Tony Adranya, and thanks for listening. All right, sweet, guys. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks. All right. Fun, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. And also, I don't have a last word complex. I just wanted to get that in. I thought it was interesting. (laughs) No, it's fine. That's a good point. But, uh, all right, I'll edit this, and then I'll uh, throw it up on the site. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Later. Take it easy.